As Hurricane Ian leaves a swath of death and destruction in its wake, it also has the potential to affect politics as we near the November elections. To discuss this and more of the week's news, we turn to the analysis of Brooks and Capehart. That's New York Times columnist David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart, associate editor for The Washington Post. Hello to Thanks, both Judy. of you. It's Friday. Thank you for being here. Um, and I do want to start, uh, Jonathan, with this awful storm that we are very focused on and rightly should be. Uh, Ian, it has worked its way across Florida, causing death and destruction, now landfall in the Carolinas. Um, it, it taxing resources of government at, at every level. We don't know what that's ultimately going to be. But there are, as, as we just said, political consequences to this. We've seen our leaders in the past handle them well, not handle them well. Mm -hmm. What's at stake? Can the country handle this? What's at stake for these leaders? Well, so far it seems like the, the leaders are doing what they are supposed to be doing, and that is tending to the needs of the people. That's the president declaring a disaster in Florida, working surprisingly with the governor, the Republican governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, to bring aid to, to the state of Florida, the governor of Florida, who has spent a lot of time criticizing the president and the White House and, and Democrats. But when it comes to focusing on the people of Florida, he has nothing but kind words. So I think in terms of doing the job that needs to be done, they're both doing the right thing. The politics of it all, again, Governor DeSantis is running for re-election. So he's got to focus on the people of Florida and put politics aside. He even said as much on, on Fox News. What, what are the pitfalls at this point? You have, as, as Jonathan said, the governor, governor DeSantis clearly eyeing or thinking about running for president. And you have President Biden going down there in a few days. Yeah, yeah, I think what's happening is we're focusing on people. I mean, there have been so many interviews with, I just saw an interview with a, a couple who stayed in their home. They were terrified and they fled as homes around them were dissolving and he was killed, she survived. Uh, couples, you know, I, I saw a couple in the life raft in their living room mm -hmm. rising as the water levels rise, watching all their goods be destroyed. And so when you focus on human beings and you, it does take you a little out of the political. For sure. And so, and that, and I've had, I've been impressed in the reporting on this program and elsewhere that the locals seem to be doing their jobs. You get the sense in interview after interview of competence. And so it, uh, to me, it has an effect of making me feel a little better about the country in hard circumstances, that we came together a little as so far as Jonathan said, and then that people are really active and responding from all around the country, from all around the world, helping out. And I think the final, most the political point is DeSantis is no Trump. That Trump, if you remember in these circumstances, could not show compassion, could not stop having the culture war. And DeSantis can turn that off and, and he can behave like a normal governor. And, and we are, as Jonathan, and we've been covering climate change, we're going to be seeing more and more of these climate disasters, calling on um, political leadership, but also the resources that governments are going to have to spend uh, to, to clean up, to restore life to what people uh, or people deserve. Right. Well, restore, at this point, it's got to be not just restoring, but improving so that when the next, you know, once in a hundred year storm comes, comes by in week two after a previous one, that folks can survive, that the structures can survive. We're looking at more severe storms happening much more frequently. Um, this storm, Hurricane Ian, you know, coming through the coast, raking across Florida, ramping back up in the Atlantic, raking across, across the Carolinas, you've got 
people and politicians who are looking around and thinking, how do we, how do we address these things? Yeah. How do we address the climate? How do we repair? But then the other big question becomes, where does all the money come from? And that is the key thing, that if, they, if Washington doesn't get its act together and start doing things more boldly to address climate change, then addressing the climate is super expensive. Repairing and restoring communities after they've been decimated for the fifth or sixth time is even more expensive. I mean, and there is this divide, David, about what to do about climate change right now. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans <laughs> talked about climate change, <laughs> including John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Me too. Yeah. Uh, and it got turned partisan like everything else. Uh, and globally, it's, a, it's a, just a big collective action problem where the, the costs of addressing climate change are right now, but the benefits are long term. But now, if we get more natural disasters, the costs are also short term. And so you, you see this logic where people are saying, you know, we just can't afford not to do it. Yeah. And whether that will kick in, I confess I'm not too optimistic with China <laughs> being where it is, but, yeah. but you can't help not be startled by the weather patterns. You can't, and, and watching this, this uh, terrible, as you say, human aftermath in Florida and, and perhaps elsewhere uh, has to get everyone's attention. Um, to Europe, uh, we don't often talk about politics overseas, but uh, it has come to our attention this week. Uh, Jonathan, with the election of a woman named Georgia Maloney, she's the leader of the Brothers of Italy uh, political party, uh, has ushered in what is being described as the most far-right government in Italy since World War II. And this is just a few days after Sweden showed, or a few weeks, I should say, after Sweden showed a relatively high vote for a, a, a right-leaning party there. What does this portend? How worried should the rest of the West be? Well, I mean, I think the, the West should be worried. I mean, it, I mean, Italy has had its, its fascist past, and Giorgio Maloney says that, you know, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not like that kind of fascist. I'm not, I'm not a fascist. Don't, don't worry. Um, but I remember at the Aspen Ideas Festival, I think it was in 2016, Newt Gingrich gave a, gave a presentation talking about the populist right-leaning movements that were happening around around the world and he marched all the way across the globe and Brexit was was the big story and then there was the 2016 presidential election here in the United States and he said he predicted then that Donald Trump would win and that would be part of this this global march to the right well we're seeing it that march still happening there's not just George Maloney in in Italy and what's happened in Sweden but let's not forget Duda in Poland, yeah. Orban in, in Hungary, this move towards either authoritarianism or autocracy or turning to the far right. And the fact that this has happened in Italy, um, a NATO member, is just another, it, it's just another pressure point in what, the, what President Biden has been talking about. You know, democracy has to prove that it can deliver. And right now, whether it's in Sweden, Italy, Hungary, Poland, um, you name it, a lot of people aren't so sure about democracy and they're looking to far right or authoritarian figures who are about exclusion as opposed to um, bringing folks together. How concerned do you think the West should be? Well, the West should be concerned about immigration. <laughs> In Italy and, Swi and Sweden, immigration is the top issue as it was for Donald Trump, as it is for a lot of these other, the Swedes have a higher immigration rate as a percentage of population 
as than we do, which is, you know, we're the nation of immigrants. And so if you don't get your immigration under control, a lot of people are going to be upset. And it should be a big message for, for Joe Biden. Got to control the borders. Americans like immigration, but they want controlled borders. And if you don't do it, in countries where you don't do it, the center left collapses. The second thing is that there was a Maloney video that went viral this week of her saying, here are my identities. I'm an Italian, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I'm a Christian, and those people are out to destroy every one of my identities. And that is sort of the cultural message that all these different conservative movements have. And even, you know, even Vladimir Putin, you know, talking yeah. about uh, gender changing uh, in the middle of a war. And so the, the cultural ed uh, element is not to be underestimated. And I would say it's cohering, the cultural critique of modernism, of cosmopolitanism, whatever you want to call it, urbanism, uh, the co it's cohering around the world. And we see it in almost every Western co country. And, uh, and gives us pause, yeah. gives us pause. Um, finally, uh, Jonathan, this week we saw something we weren't sure was going to happen, and that was Supreme Court Justice Clarence mm. Thomas, his wife Virginia Thomas, Ginny Thomas, testifying before the January 6th committee, and the chairman, Benny Thompson, came out later and said what she said, among other things, is that she does believe today that the 2020 presidential election was stolen, that Donald Trump actually won. What does that say? <laughs> it is, it, it's shocking. We are almost two years after the 2020 presidential election, an election that um, Donald Trump's own, own cybersecurity expert before he fired him said was the fairest and safest election, presidential election probably in, in, in American history. The myths um, and, and about election fraud all of those things have been debunked. And yet here's this person who is a leader in, in the conservative movement, even before this, is still clinging to this notion that the election was stolen from, from Donald Trump. It's a lie. It's a reason it's called a big lie. And yet she still holds on to it. And the problem with that, in addition to her believing that, it's who she's married to. A Supreme Court justice who didn't recuse himself from a, a case earlier involving Donald Trump. There could be other cases involving Donald Trump. And the question and the pressure will be on Justice Thomas to recuse, and the, uh, personally, but pressure on the Supreme Court to do something to hold justices accountable for things like that. How significant? Well, it is a, it is a lie, as Jonathan said. Uh, she's wrong. She's always been sort of on the fringy, sort of uh, avant-garde of the right, even when <laughs> back when the right was a little more normal than it is. Uh, and you can explain what that is. <laughs> it's like, I, don't, I don't know. There, there was a Lee Atwater phrase um, for a certain kind of conservative. He helped ran the Reagan campaign. Yeah. There are some people who have forearms growing out of their foreheads. He would say that. He went, he went sort of the... I don't know, the, the far edge, and she's always been a little over there. Um, the question is, should Justice Thomas recuse? I'd be a little hesitant to go there. I don't think the opinions of a family member of, a, of Supreme Court Justice, uh, I think the justices are careful enough not to let that influence their jurisprudence. Uh, and finally, you know, they, she claimed that they don't talk about, about the decisions. I don't know. I'm not on their pillow, so I don't know. I do, not, <laughs> I, I do, um, I do know couples in Washington that... Um, are in security jobs, top secret jobs, and they literally don't talk about work at home. Yeah. And so it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> possible. Something for us to think about <laughs> for days to come. <laughs>
<laughs> David Brooks, Jonathan Capehart, thank you for giving us something to think about. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>